shotglassdigital.com. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook download. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. To learn more, go to littledebbie.com forward slash Cosmic Cupcakes. With movies, gaming, books, comics, and collecting, a Little Debbie snack makes everything a little sweeter. Little Debbie, official snack of the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I don't know if I should feel guilty about looking at these photos or if I should be happy about them. I'm so conflicted. I'm so conflicted. I think a lot of fans out there are conflicted. I mean, who would ever thought that we would have to turn to TMZ for heartbreaking Star Wars news? Oh, well. Beats scraping the bottom of the Internet's trash cans for our childhood, right, Winna? I'm on TMZ looking at Star Wars set photos from Episode 7. Well, we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more here. Rebel Force Radio, this week's show for June 6, 2014. So glad to be with you. What an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan. What an exciting time to be anticipating the release of Star Wars Episode 7. We have actual set photos, two sets of uh, set photos to talk about. Uh, We also, as mentioned last week, we want to get to some of Carrie Fisher's quotes. They're just priceless. So hopefully we'll get to those also. And uh, just uh, all kinds of fun things happening. Uh, This show brought to you by our good friends at audible.com, little Debbie and dorkside toys.com. Some more casting news and everything, but here to help us make sense of all of it is my good friend and yours from Chicago. No longer the Star Wars capital of the world. It's actually Abu Dhabi right now, my yeah, friends. Yeah. Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Man, I just, you know, feel like I'm, I'm just now catching my breath from our trip to Disney Star Wars weekends. And wouldn't you know it, this week, the bombs start dropping left and right from legitimate sources and rather illicit sources. That's right. Uh, we have some casting announcements that came from uh, actually StarWars.com in a Lucasfilm press release. So we're uh, hearing legitimate news. And then, of course, as you say, Jason, TMZ with two mind-blowing sets of photos from both the Abu Dhabi set and the Pinewood Studios set. Yeah, huge so, shock there. Huge shock there. So a lot to take so. in. There's been no downtime for us here at Rebel Force Radio Central as we analyze and dissect each and every photo, not really sharing them so much because we want to be spoiler sensitive to a degree. There's no question about that. So if you've seen the photos, you'll know what we're talking about. If you haven't seen the photos, we'll describe them to you in great detail. And if you don't want to know anything about the photos or 
get any spoilers for Star Wars Episode Seven, leave the internet now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. my goodness. And, and we, you know, we exist here on the Internet. So uh, we, we yeah. will try to be uh, extremely sensitive with spoilers that reveal information about character and plot. But when it comes to simple visuals, sets, creatures, ships, things of that nature, I think that that's kind of fair game as far as spoiler territory goes. I don't think it will really necessarily ruin the film, at least for for my personal fandom. And uh, so we'll be speaking openly about all those leaked set photos and much more this week on Rebel Force Radio. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that we do here from time to time here at Rebel Force Radio is imbibe. Imbibe and adult beverages. And last week, uh, Jim, we had the clip of you talking to Star Wars legend, Boba Fett actor Jeremy Bullock, and the subject of Boba Beer came up. It'd be interesting if we could consider a way to market our own beer, a Boba Beer. What a good idea. That would be good. Boba Beer, right? What a good idea. He's, he's in. <laughs> he's in. So we'll we... press a button yeah. and say, what would you like out of these beers? And they'll press a button like that. Boba Beer. Oh, and it's here. A full pint. <laughs> so we're, we're already on the way. That's it. That's all it takes. And you can actually fill up that that backpack, that jetpack, with beer. the beer. You're full of beer. And we can put a little spigot on that, and just you know, the other like boss could come up behind you and pour himself a awesome. cold one. Put that beer down. <laughs> mm, good. <laughs> Boba beer. Boba beer. Come now. Sell at the factory. Boba beer. It's yours for the asking. Actually, you know what? That's given me a thought. To try and get one and make a nice label, sure for Anaheim. Well, I'll you know, to it straight away. I'll tell you what, we're we're putting this out there. The world is listening. Star Wars fans everywhere are hearing this. Maybe Sam Adams. Maybe can, Sam can Adams. Produce Boba beer just for the just for the event. So there it was the idea was born, and uh, Jimmy Mack has a plan. Yeah, yeah. The goal is let's have Boba beer for Jeremy at Star Wars Celebration in. Anaheim next April. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Now, I was feeling rather ambitious when I was talking to Jeremy. He revealed to me that he's a big fan of Sam Adams beer. He considers it to be the best beer to be produced in the United States. And so we thought, well, wow, let's get a hold of the guys at Sam Adams and pitch them on perhaps producing a limited run Boba beer for Anaheim. Well, I started doing some research into that, and I realized that that's a very complicated process to go through. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't know if I have the time, contacts, or means to make it happen. So I figured, well, let's do what we do best here. We're, we're rebels. Let's have an underground movement, and let's make this happen. So I came up with a plan. You know, Jeremy said, let's come up with a cool label. So I reached out to one of our favorite artist here at Rebel Force Radio, a listener named Chris Amarim. And I said, hey, Chris, two words, mull it over, Bulba beer. So Chris produced... Mull it over, get it? Malt. Malt, malt. malt. Okay. So um, Chris actually came up with some cool Bulba beer label concepts that we posted up on Facebook this week. I think we're getting really close. I don't know if we're 100% there, but I want to encourage Chris and all of our listeners especially those who have uh, artistic skills, to create a label for a bottle of boba beer. We can grab six packs of Sam Adams, 
put the label on it, and then everyone who goes to get Jeremy's autograph at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. By the way, Jeremy and no guests are confirmed at this point for Star Wars <laughs> Celebration next year. But it wouldn't really feel like a Star Wars Celebration if Jeremy Bullock wasn't there. And he's been at all the previous celebrations. So I think it's a pretty good bet that he'll be there in Anaheim. And also, you know, let's consider he's such a great ambassador for the franchise. So I think everyone who wants to get his autograph should create two bottles of Boba beer. One for Jeremy to sign and one for you to present him. And so I want Jeremy to be completely surrounded by bottles of Boba beer by the last day of the convention. So it's easy. I'm asking you, make it yourself. Let's create a label we can all agree upon and say this is going to be the official label of Boba Beer. And everyone who is 21 and over, of course, can take bottles of Boba Beer and present them to Jeremy Bullock at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. I, I want to make this happen. I want this to be an underground, rebellious movement of our fans to give back to the baddest beer-drinking bounty hunter in the galaxy, and that's Jeremy Bullock. Boba beer. But it doesn't stop there, Jason. Uh, Rob Dellinger, who is a great musician and a listener of this show, got so inspired by the concept of Boba beer, he took it one step further, and now we have a Boba beer jingle. What would a beer be without a jingle? Boba beer. In the galaxy, Boba Beer, bubbling bounty, Boba Beer, best in the galaxy, Boba Beer, bubbling bounty, Boba Beer, a full pint, Boba Beer, a full pint, Boba Beer, Boba Beer, Boba Beer, it's worth a lot to me. You can almost taste the beer now. You can listen to that jingle. You can stare at the Boba Beer label artwork on the Rebel Force Radio Facebook page, courtesy of Chris Amarim. Listen to that jingle, and you will actually be tasting Boba Beer. But we all have to remember that Jeremy likes Sam Adams, and so let's use the Sam Adams beer bottles and the Sam Adams beer as our Boba Beer, and then we could present them all to Jeremy. I don't know if we should do it all at once. Maybe we can have a, like a Boba Beer depository at Star Wars Celebration <laughs> where fans can drop off a bottle. And then maybe we can just have a big presentation of Boba Beer on the behind-the-scenes stage. A, well, how's Jeremy going to get all that beer home? Or are we all going to drink it We're going to drink it with him. Okay. All right. We're going to be – That's now you're talking. That's going to be the secret fifth day of Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> It's actually five days. <laughs> day five. So day it's five. It's like when not rested on the seventh day. It's our fifth day. <laughs> yes, and it's going to be all about boba beer. So it's a movement. Let's let's hashtag this thing boba beer. Hashtag boba beer. Let's make it well, a meme. Plenty of movements if we uh, drink beer for a whole day after <laughs> celebration and all that convention food up to, and then the beer on top of it. Wow, fantastic! So uh, yeah, let's make this a meme. Let's do everything possible to blow Boba Beer into the stratosphere by the time Star Wars Celebration Anaheim rolls around. And uh, we can present Jeremy with just case upon case of Boba Beer. Boba Beer. Boba Beer. Boba Beer. Well, uh, 
make sure that uh, you participate in the whole Boba Beer campaign as we count down the months, the weeks, the days to Celebration Anaheim. Looking forward to it. Hey, before we go any further, we do want to take a time out and thank our sponsors this week. One of our sponsors this week, Audible.com. We've been telling you about them for years. We go way back with Audible. In fact, they're like Rebel Force Radio, one of the pioneers of internet audio entertainment. Audible is, uh, in fact, they're the number one leading provider of spoken audio entertainment for audiobooks. They provide digital versions of literally tens of thousands, over 100,000 titles to choose from, just about every genre you could imagine. And the best part is it's compatible with any device. There's, there are more portable devices now, little pocket PCs now than ever, and Audible is keeping up. They're on the front lines. They're making sure that they have formats that work and apps that work with all of these different devices. So you can listen whenever, wherever you want, just like Rebel Force Radio you're listening to now. And here's the best part. You get a free audiobook just for trying them out. Just for trying them out. And they're not just like some dry narrator talking. A lot of these are acted out. Sometimes they have multiple narrators and uh, top-notch production. So you don't want to miss out on listening to your favorite books. We know you're busy. You're going to the gym. You're driving to work. You're mowing the lawn now that it's summertime. And what a better way to pass the time than to get smarter and uh, to expand your horizons with audiobooks. In fact, this free audiobook could be a Star Wars book if you want. It's up to you. It doesn't have to be. But here's what you need to do. Go to audiblepodcast.com. That's audiblepodcast.com slash RFR for Rebel Force Radio. Sign up today and uh, pick a free audiobook courtesy of audible.com and Rebel Force Radio. And if you choose not to stay involved, that's okay. You still have access to that book whenever, wherever you would like. And you'll notice and uh, appreciate the convenience of having all your favorite books right at your fingertips. And it really is a wonderful, wonderful service. Check them out, audiblepodcast.com slash RFR. And we thank them so much for their support of us at Rebel Force Radio. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Oh, we have lots of good news. Lots of amazing news to talk about. It uh, pinched me. I feel like I'm dreaming. I just, I still, there's moments when I cannot believe we are talking about Star Wars Episode 7, and it just feels more real uh, every week. Let's start with the legitimate news. As Jimmy mentioned, um, at, at the top of the program, official, according to StarWars.com and uh, the folks at Disney and Lucasfilm, two new cast members have been announced for Star Wars Episode 7. Game of Thrones, Gwendolyn Christie, who's going to be recent, uh, going to be appearing in the latest Hunger Games film, Mockingjay Part Two. I think she was in the other ones. I think I've seen them both, but you know everybody looks weird in those movies. They're all they're all done up, kind of you know far out and crazy. Um, but uh, for those of you who remember. Our old buddy Pete. I got a text from Pete when this announcement was made. He's a big Game of Thrones fan. And he's like, she is badass, man. So oh, uh, Pete Nadel, all about Gwendolyn Christie's uh, casting announcement. And also Lupita. Uh, <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? All right. All right. All right. I, there's Before probably we... like a click in there. Maybe I'll. <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. Some tongue. Is that... I don't know how to pronounce it. Help me out. To, she, she's an I, Academy Award winning actress and she's going to be in Star Wars 7 and she's beautiful. Um, she looks like a young 
really hot Grace Jones. Oh, a little bit. I can see that. I can see that. But But attractive. Yes. But Jason, before we go any further, because we're going to be talking about this young woman for probably years to come. So so let's school ourselves on how to properly pronounce Lupita's name. Now, after so many people started hearing about her once she became nominated for an Academy Award this past year for her work in um, 12 um, Years a Slave for her work in 12 Years a Slave. Yes. And she was fabulous in that movie. I don't know if you saw it, but she was just amazing. in it. she actually won, right? She won. Yes. She won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. But once her name really got on the radar, it was pronounced so many different ways. Oh, God. John Travolta didn't announce her, did he? (laughs) I don't think he did. No, no. I Imagine him trying to read that name. Uh, but people would say like Nyongyo and Yungo and uh, all these different names. So she actually shot a video and it's herself saying her name and it's supposed to serve as a guide to help you with the pronunciation. And she oh. says it both the way that she's always been accustomed of saying it. And then she says it kind of with an American accent. So here's Lupita and Lupita gives us a demonstration on how to properly pronounce her name. Lupita Nyong'o. In American, Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> okay, Lupita Nyong'o. The G is, 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 is a soft G. So it's like Lupita Nyong'o. 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 Lupita so, Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. So um, that's at least how I say it. Lupita. Okay, I was wondering if it was Lupicia. We might just call her Lupita. Alopecia. I think we'll just call her uh, Lupita from now on. Lupita. <laughs> but uh, Lupita is a very, very talented actress. Of course, we said she won the Oscar for her work in, uh, in 12 Years a Slave, which is a fabulous film. And if you haven't seen it, it's out there on DVD. So I strongly suggest you go check it out. She also, um, I mean, just God, not not that much work. Uh, she has a few projects that are in pre-production right now. Uh, most notably, she's going to be doing a voice in a remake of the Jungle Book, which is also due out in 2015. But her, you know, like like her herself, her career is very young. Of course, achieving great success at a very early time in her career. And it wasn't just the Oscars, but she won so many awards. And she was also nominated for so many awards for her work in 12 Years a Slave. So she's definitely someone who is critically acclaimed and uh, someone whose work has been uh, celebrated by so many film societies and film festivals. If she wasn't nominated for just about every film award this year, she won. (laughs) So um, I I think we're, we're really getting a high quality, a high caliber of quality actress in Lupita. Now, Gwendolyn Christie, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I've only just seen little bits and pieces of it. I know very little bit about it, but I do know Here's a bit of trivia for you. Gwendolyn Christie is six foot three. She's a very tall woman. No wonder they called her badass. She is a very tall woman. And um, she plays a character. uh, I might be uh, butchering this, but it looks like it's Brienne of Tarth on the uh, hit show Game of Thrones. Did you say Darth? 
<laughs> yeah, we're we're one D away from Darth. It's Tarth. Tarth. Tarth, Tarth, but she might be known as uh, Brienne of Darth after Star Wars Episode Seven is released. Um, she's also, as you said, Jason, going to be seen in The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, of course, says, uh, quote, I could not be more excited about Lupita and Gwendolyn joining the cast of Episode Seven. It's thrilling to see this extraordinarily talented ensemble taking shape. And uh, see Kathleen Kennedy, she's super smart. She didn't get to where she is in life without being super smart. She just refers to the actress as Lupita. She's like, I'm not touching that last name. Oh, <laughs> not even with not even with the Instagram. Yeah, not even with the Instagram. But uh, yeah, we you know how to say Nyongo, 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 Lupita Nyongo. I say, I say kind of like the Italian way, Lupita Nyongo. But uh, she's uh, <laughs> so I, I think they're both uh, very uh, interesting actresses. They both bring a very unique quality to the table, at least physically. I think the both of them do. Like you said, Jason, Lupita does sort of resemble that uh, that younger. But to me, she's a softer Grace Jones. You know, she's oh, not. Yeah. She doesn't come off as so intense. And then, of course, uh, Game of Thrones, Gwendolyn Christie. She's a. Uh, like I said, a six foot three actress, uh, boy, oh boy, um, get her standing next to Carrie Fisher and, uh, you know, get her standing next to Chewbacca. She'll be taller than him. So uh, maybe she's playing a Wookiee. Maybe she's playing. Maybe she is. She's Nala. Chewie's wife. Yeah. But no, you know what? She's uh, She's got a very striking look to herself. So I, I certainly hope they don't cover her up in yak and mohair and uh, make her sweat it out. On the uh, sands of Abu Dhabi in some Wookiee outfit. Let's uh, let's let's see her. And uh, so this is very exciting. Um, I know there were some fans that had uh, a little bit of anxiety over the fact that uh, only uh, two female cast members were announced in that main cast announcement from last month. But uh, but as we reassured everyone, we we knew the casting announcements were not one and done. We knew we'd we'd be hearing more, and and we knew that uh, at least Lupita was in the running for a role. The, the Gwendolyn Christie announcement just really comes out of left field. And uh, it's pretty exciting to be getting two very young and acclaimed actresses at a, a great point in their career when they're really starting to hit on all cylinders joining the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah, I don't think uh, Christie was uh, being rumored at all prior to this. No, we heard nothing. We heard nothing about her. L- L- Lupita... That goes back months, months. So not a huge surprise there, but nice to finally get the official confirmation. Yes, Jimmy, there were a number of fans who uh, were concerned, as you say, about the lack of a female presence. But, you know, you got Princess Leia. I mean, she's enough female for three movies, (laughs) right? But we've got more girl power in this Star Wars movie than, uh, well, I don't know, the last six combined. I think actually, um, so yeah. So everyone should be should be pleased. And you you mentioned the set on Abu Dhabi. By the way, every time I hear Abu Dhabi, I keep thinking of those Garfield cartoons where he's wanting to send Normal to Abu Dhabi. Garfield, where are we going? We we're not going anywhere. You, however, are getting a tour of scenic Abu Dhabi. Right? Hmm. You remember this? No, I don't. I don't. But uh, I like it. Yeah. I, like, I like the Normal whole idea. Was the, Normal was the kitten, the, the, the cute kitten. And Garfield hates her because she's cute. 
and he's always uh, throwing her in a box and putting you know mail to Abu Dhabi. Maybe he's trying to send her to the set of episode seven. Who Absolutely, knows? yeah. Maybe these leaked photos actually come from Garfield the cat. <laughs> Well, there's nothing really cute going on, I'll say that, in Episode 7. In fact, I think the the thing that is actually stealing the show, uh, at least in this first batch of photos, is... uh, Well, well, let's let's go back, because, you know, the very first glimpse that we had of anything happening on set was the the JJ video that he released in in support of the the campaign uh, Force for Change, and... We saw one creature. We saw the camel-like creature that, uh, of course, a lot of us just sort of were excited to see because it was very retro. It was very, uh, you know, as they say, these are practice. It's a practical, uh, practical sets. It's these are these are these are puppets. These are not pixels. Uh, I guess there will be a new documentary called "From Pixels to Puppets." There and back again. <laughs> Special effects tale. Um, but so we, of course, jumped and said, hey, this means that there uh, is going to be less or very little in the ter- in terms of, of CG. And we got emails and posts on our Facebook page saying, hey, not so fast, guys. Keep in mind, for episode one, there was quite a bit of practical sets and uh, also, you know, a lot of uh, models and, uh, and and real latex characters and Sculptures and all that kind of thing. And that is true. But as the course, as we know, as the films went on, they relied less and less and less on that. So this is still a return. And, and these this first batch of photos certainly, I think, give plenty of credence to the fact that we are going to be looking at uh, more practical sets, more of, uh, you know, real. I shouldn't say live, but real um, uh, creatures uh, as opposed to uh, you know what we were accustomed to in the prequels, where it was all uh, after effects and blue screen and green screen and all that good stuff. So the first thing that we see is this enormous pig-like creature uh, that we here at Rebel Force Radio and uh, our Council of Jedi Brethren refer to affectionately as Hog Squaddle. <laughs> good old Hog Squaddle. Yeah, it doesn't matter what his name is. Um, <laughs> He's always going to be hog squaddle to us, although we did have someone, I think, on our Facebook page say that they believe that Mark Hamill should be naming all of the creatures. Yeah. If you remember, Mark you know, famously talks about, you know, we didn't have names for these things. We called them Buttface and Lobster Man. And so, so, uh, so I think Mark would go with hog squaddle. Hog squaddle. I think he'd like it. But if left to his own devices, he'd probably just call him. And then you got Big Pig over there. You know, it, would, it, it just wouldn't really be. I mean, Hog Squaddle, <laughs> Hog Squaddle just, <laughs> but Hog Squaddle, uh, Hog Squaddle definitely just, just from, from first blush really sort of sums up this, this guy's whole character and what he's really all about. He is a big giant boar. He's about nine foot tall, about 20 feet long. From what we understand, it's a, a practical costume, if you will. There's five men oh, in there right. operating, or a giant puppet, if you will, like uh, Jabba the Hutt was. But there's actually going to be human beings inside the thing, five of them, to operate it. I don't know how articulate it is. I don't know how movable it is. But I know I love him. Just on first glimpse. He doesn't alone, look all articulate. He doesn't. He doesn't. He uh, 
He definitely uh, has claimed his space, and he is the immovable object as far as uh, guys like you or me would be concerned. But uh, Hog Squaddle is definitely the breakthrough star of this this gallery of leaked photos from the Abu Dhabi set. Uh, Really, really impressive uh, piece of uh, work. He's uh, the first legitimate big creature we're seeing from the films, and uh, I, I hope he plays a large role. In uh, as far as uh, his screen presence is, I, I hope he is more than just walking in the background. I hope he gets featured somehow, some way. Heck, I'd be happy if he was the protagonist of the whole trilogy. That would be great. You know, <laughs> Revenge of Hog Squaddle. Hog Squaddle strikes back. Well, you know, he's he's quite the diva or divo. You've got this one one shot where they're they're shielding him from the. The harsh sun rays, you know, they don't want to get that big snout sunburn. So they've got this giant blue tarp that uh, they're covering him with. Maybe they're uncovering him. Who knows? But uh, a great, great photo. And uh, also you can see how his his appendages are wrapped. He's got those kind of familiar uh, outlander Tatooine style wrappings that we've seen on various uh, of the denizens in Jabba's palace. And uh, so very, very much. Uh, we have no confirmation that this is Tatooine. We can only assume that it's Tatooine. Um, and I think that's kind of what uh, most of us fans are sort of uh, assuming here. I don't think they would introduce another desert planet um, like this in the, in the films. You never know. But uh, it's looking like it is. And there's a structure that lends a little bit more credence to the fact that it is Tatooine. In fact, it may actually be what we might be looking at is uh, an archway to uh, Jabba's palace, perhaps, in one shot. So, uh, Jim, it's based on uh, a, uh, an old Macquarie painting of a part of Jabba's palace that we never actually saw in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it's a big giant archway that uh, Ralph originally proposed to sort of uh, serve as a uh, entranceway into the palace itself. Now, of course, the entranceway we see in the final film is that big giant door that 3PO and R2 approach, and uh, they talk to that uh, ball on a stick. Now, that door keeps getting bigger, too. Yeah, right, it keeps growing. Somebody stop giving vitamins to Jabba's door. But, um, but yeah, this archway was actually uh, designed by Ralph, and uh, you can see it probably... Uh, in its best um, uh, incarnation in the uh, 1995 Kevin J. Anderson book, The Illustrated Star Wars Universe. That's where I remember it from. And uh, me and Paul Bateman talk about this a lot on Star Wars Influences. And if you haven't heard it, we just released it this week. It's out there on the Rebel Force radio feed. And uh, Paul goes into great detail about uh, our, the art of... Uh, and the influence on the art of this set, uh, especially from a Macquarie point of view. But you're absolutely right, Jason. That is where we've seen it before. Uh, it is an original Ralph Macquarie design. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's so encouraging going into this film to see that Ralph's designs could get a new life here in the the sequel trilogy, much like with the Clone Wars before it, where unused Macquarie concepts were actually practically used. Here we're actually seeing it in real life. 
it's not animated anymore. It's being pulled out of the painting and being created as a real three-dimensional object that characters can actually lean up against and interact around and everything. And, and it's so thrilling just to be seeing it from all these different angles in these TMZ shots. And, you know, it's like, yeah. like I said, it's one of those things we, we might just barely get a glimpse of it in the finished film. But just knowing it's been created for a brand new Star Wars film on a practical set in a desert environment is tantalizing to say the least. And it, it absolutely is. I mean, there, there's other, th- there's other structures that you see. There are some of the, obviously inhabitants uh, of Tatooine. And I actually, I went back and I grabbed the, uh, the making of episode one book because there are, there are a lot of different photos of the cast on set there in Tunisia uh, during the Tatooine, uh, uh, it's filming the Tatooine sequences. And I got to say that the, the background, I mean, it's really indistinguishable. I mean, you, you could have said this was Tunisia and I, and I believed it. Um, so they did, I think, an, an amazing job trying to find a, an alternate location that just has that same uh, look and feel. Now, obviously, it's not the first time that um, a, something other than Tunisia has actually uh, uh, played the role of Tatooine in a Star Wars film. But nonetheless, this this really does t- match up to some of the reference shots. So uh, in well, addition, we're you, also seeing you. what looks – Jason, what's that? I'm sorry. Just with that thought in mind, I'll tell you, it certainly f- looks and feels a lot more like Tatooine as we saw it from Tunisia than the Yuma, Arizona shots used for Jabba's sail barge, which to me don't – have as much of that Tatooine feel as uh, as this does. I mean, I, that's just how I feel. That, that's interesting. It's hard for me because you know Jedi was uh, a lot of firsts for me came in Jedi, so I don't have that memory of of you know living with Episode Four for uh, you know several years and then seeing Return of the Jedi and 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 thinking about those differences but i guess when you when you look back yeah i mean I, you you could of course make the make the uh the argument that there's different parts of tatooine obviously and they, there could be different different regions that have sort of a different uh palette i guess but there's something um brighter about tatooine as we see it in return of the jedi versus in there a new go. hope yep. a new hope seems dirtier uh, a little darker, gloomier, but everything seems very bright in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, you got it. And that's the difference between Yuma, Arizona and and um, uh, Tunisia. However, with that in mind, it, it does. It all comes down to the lighting, Jason. That's that's the main thing that I've always felt was the difference. It just seems like in Tunisia, it's a, a different sort of uh, ambient lighting. It's a, a hazier sort of feel, in my opinion. However, I do feel like the Death Valley shots featuring R2 in A New Hope match up pretty well with the Tunisia shots. So I'm not saying that there are other locations that cannot replicate Tatooine as well as Tunisia. But I think, at least with Abu Dhabi, I think they're getting really close to the legitimate, genuine feel of the Tunisia Tatooine. Now, there's one photo here that I've been looking at, and to me... It looks like it could be a pod racer engine. Have you seen this one? Yeah, I brought this up to Paul as well, and I, I think Paul agrees 
uh, very much that uh, that very well could be a pod racer engine. Pod racing was something that was uh, one of the coolest elements of Star Wars Episode One, and uh, to be able to incorporate elements of that great sequence in any way, shape, or form, even if it's just a piece of set decoration is something that ties it in with the prequels and makes the saga feel like one big saga. So uh, I, I think that definitely could be a pod racer engine. It looks like it might belong to uh, maybe a Mars Guo or uh, uh, <laughs> how many pod racers can you name? You know, Mohanic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we think that that's what Luke is doing in his retirement. Is he pod racing? Maybe. <gasps> Maybe that's how he's making this dough. You know, I think he's too big. Didn't they say something where uh, y- you can't be that big to pod race? You have to be small of stature. Uh, well, so, Mark Hamill's uh, not that big. It's not like Chewie back yeah. there. Yeah, but I mean, everything that I'm that I'm seeing here just has that George Lucas used junk used universe look of the original trilogy uh you know the there's a shot of what looks to be maybe a, a speeder of some sort that's all rusted out um yes. and uh it, there's there's also a shot of if i didn't know better i would think it was a moisture farm uh with the uh, the smoking remains of aunt Beru and uh, uncle owen uh, there's one photo that almost looks like a reference shot from uh, a new hope you know what i'm talking about jim yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it right now where you do see a lot of black smoke off on the horizon. And and to me, yeah. the, the the color of the smoke represents fuel burning. So that could mm. be perhaps a ship that crash landed there just right outside this encampment. But I mean, the, the color of the smoke just to me indicates fuel burning and a lot. Of- yeah, right. The dark, dark color. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's... Um- but uh, there's there's some of the f- sort of the familiar structures that you might see on a on a moisture farm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the people that we're seeing. Um, very in some cases, very typical uh, desert garb. Uh, a lot of hooded robes we're seeing, but we're also seeing some uh, some unique things. Um, in particular, I go out on a limb here, but am I looking at Lupita? It's hard, shot? And you know what? It's really hard to make out who uh, any of these actors or actresses are. I, I'm led to believe that they they all are set extras, and uh, nothing more, nothing less. I don't even think Lupita was. Uh, you know, they didn't even announce her signing until after the Abu Dhabi shot. Oh, but it made me think that. May, that well, it made me think that. It made me think that maybe that was the reason that they announced it was because these photos are out. And I, I mean, these, it's, it's hard to tell, but you know, which shot I'm, we're looking at, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, an African female with, um, kind of, uh, interesting head garb and, uh, some, some robes, uh, almost looks like, dare I say, Sith witch almost throwing that out there. I know that that's something that's been talked about, um, but uh, like you say, Jim, there's been I mean, there are no captions in terms of crediting these photos with, uh, you know, who, who's actually in them other than hog squaddle hog squaddle. Like I said, the breakthrough star of this particular photo gallery. Now, I'm looking at another picture of the actress in question that you speak of. And that's uh, th- there's a close up of her with uh, two, mm. two other guys with, the two, dudes. with yeah. the two dudes. And yeah, that's definitely not Lupita. 
That's but, not uh, Lupita. No, but this guy, I think that is Joey Fatone. <laughs> there on, uh, he finally, Joey Fatone from InSync finally got into a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it took uh, a dozen years, but <laughs> does that look like Joey Fatone there in the shades and the the soul patch and the mustache? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that guy. I mean, with the with the the, the porno mustache and, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'd rather see Joey Fatone in a Star Wars film than Simon Pegg. So. Uh, more power to him. <laughs> oh, just wait. That announcement's coming. That announcement's coming. Yeah. But uh, it's a little hard, you know, on a, on, a, on a radio program like this to describe all these photos. So you have to check them out for yourself. Um, it's just uh, incredible to see. But that, that Macquarie stru- – well, Ho- Hog Squaddle really steals the show. But next to Hog Squaddle, that, that Macquarie structure uh, really is, uh, as you say, Jim, just gives you real good vibes about uh, this film and the attention to detail. And, um, you know, regardless uh, – you know, we were mentioning uh, – I don't know if it was last week or maybe the week before about – you know, there's some things in Star Wars that are just beyond – question and uh people can debate the merits of various plot points that uh, george came up with over the years and his what he chose to focus on in the prequels uh but john williams scores rarely do you ever hear anything but gushing and ralph mccrory ralph mccrory's work uh rarely do you ever hear anything but unanimous praise uh, you know from star wars fans about that as well so i think that that is certainly a a I, the, the spirit of Ralph's work that flows through Star Wars, I think they're very, very smart to align themselves with that very much. And seeing the picture of this archway, this entranceway, and knowing where it came from, it just gets you so excited to discover more. What else are they going to be using? What other old Macquarie concepts will they be incorporating into Star Wars Episode Seven? What other Joe Johnston pieces of artwork that got put in, on the cutting room floor, never even made it that far, are going to be reincorporated into this film. That's what excites me as a, as a kid who grew up owning the art of Star Wars books and the art of Empire Strikes Back, which I still own, and is falling apart. The binding is all t- torn off of it, but I still have the book. And, uh, of course, the art of Return of the Jedi. And So many people have been now exposed to that Ralph McQuarrie art, thanks to the great work of Dreams and Vision Press and their Art of Ralph McQuarrie book. And, like I said, the Kevin J. Anderson book from the mid-90s, the uh, Illustrated Star Wars Universe. And then, of course, the great books done by J.W. Rinsler, all the making of books for the original trilogy. So a lot of fans have been exposed to the work of Ralph McQuarrie over the last few years. And now everyone is going to be seeing this stuff come to life, which is so excited, which is so exciting because of course, Ralph is no longer with us and it's great to see him being immortalized. Once again, his artwork is immortalized and lives on forever and is still being put to practical use for a film that's coming out in 2015. What a great tribute to a great talent, Ralph McQuarrie. So it's going to be exciting to see what other kind of concepts finally get to see life on the silver screen that have not been ever realized in that fashion. And it's going to be great to see all the new stuff that gets created and, and watch the, the saga expand even further as far as an artistic design standpoint. 
So, uh, you know, the, the yeah. God, see, it's, uh, Star Wars, it just so it grows so far outside the story that every little element of it becomes a huge event in itself. And that's what makes it such a rich saga. Well, in the, the second batch of photos, and uh, clearly the, we're looking at the Millennium Falcon and in uh, various forms of completion. Uh, but there's no mistaking that iconic cockpit. There's no mistaking that. And uh, I think um, it looks like the, the, the Falcon has, uh, has also aged. Uh, in addition to the, the Star Wars actors, the Falcon itself has uh, seen some better days. It looks a little bit more battle-weary than it had. Um, uh, so the familiar cockpit, we're also seeing what appears to be some um, structure that is going to lead to a full, um, nearly life-sized uh, model of the Falcon. And um, what else are we seeing here? We, we, hog Squaddle. Hog Squaddle's back. Now, is this the same Hog Squaddle? Because these photos in the second batch are actually from Pinewood. So uh, no, no. You know what? Let's not jump to conclusions. They say this is from an undisclosed secret location a place where they're actually building this material. And then well, it's going to be... It wouldn't have to be Pinewood. It would not have to be Pinewood. This stuff could have already been shipped to Pinewood, and these are older photos. And, yeah, this could uh, be a warehouse anywhere. Yeah. So we could yeah. be looking at uh, Hogswaddle. What's great about these shots of Hogswaddles, you can actually see much more of the detail in the way that this thing is painted and the texture, and uh, he's just as handsome uh, as you as you might wow look at that right up right, right up his nose right up his nose in that shot, um, but uh, just in, incredible incredible work. Wait, what happened to his head? The headless hog squaddle. Well, that's I'm telling you, that's where the puppeteers go in, and they operate him in there. And you can also see the uh, famous Millennium Falcon corridor is also being uh, put under construction there at this uber secret undisclosed location. But really exciting to me, Jason, is, uh, you know, the Falcon is instantly recognizable. You know what you're seeing and everything. But then you uh, click along here and you're starting to see some shots of what appears to be an X-Wing under construction. And there are noticeable differences in the look of this particular X-Wing when you compare it to the X-Wings in the original trilogy. You'll notice that the... uh, the, the front, the nose of it is a little smaller, and the cockpit kind of runs, the cockpit window, that is, sort of runs seamlessly into the, uh, the front part of the, uh, the uh, fuselage. And then uh, you notice it has much bigger engines, at least it looks like to me, from this angle. But the familiar cannons are there. The, the double cannons on both sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does, again, harken back to some of Ralph McQuarrie's artwork for early X-Wings. So two sets of photos in one week. Who knows what we might be seeing in the days, in the weeks to come. But one thing is for sure, we'll be here at Rebel Force Radio to break it all down for you. And I'm sure you have opinions yourself on what these photos mean and what they could be. So we'd love to hear from you. And a great place to do that is on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio. Chime in. Let us know what you think. Hey, how about this? Empire Strikes Back, Jim. Arguably considered by many, many fans to be the best Star Wars film of all time. What about the greatest movie of all time? 
Yeah, that's a big statement there. That's a big statement. Because I think most people, when polled, would consider the original Star Wars to be ranked higher on that sort of list. You know, I mean, Empire being a great sequel, no question about it. But Star Wars is the thing that sort of launched it all. It's it's impact on film going and filmmaking was just incredibly profound. And it really took the early years of film blockbuster releases and made it grow up. Yeah, it did. But I got to tell you, compared to the other two, it's kind of boring. It really is. I don't. I mean, compared to to Empire and Jedi, it's slow. Oh, my God. That, 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 yeah, that first, that, that first half hour before it starts getting rolling can, uh, can really be brutal. And so I think as far as I would agree, I would say if, if, if you're looking at greatest movie, I'm not, I'm not saying we're not talking about influential. We're not talking about anything. This is a poll from Empire Magazine and uh, over 250,000 film fans voted and 1980s. Empire Strikes Back came in as number one, beating out Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Now, I know I just said some things that probably make, is making Jim's hair stand on end. Yeah, I'm not happy right now. I cannot <laughs> believe, I just, I, really, I cannot believe you just said the first half hour of Star Wars A New Hope can be brutal and boring. Yeah, and when you compare it to the pace of the other films, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little sleepy. I, I don't believe I'm hearing this from you. I just, I don't believe Wait, I'm Relatively hearing. speaking, I'm not saying that as a blanket statement. I'm just saying, yeah, when you, I mean, yes, for all that, that episode four, A New Hope meant to the industry, meant to uh, making blockbuster films, and it launched these other movies. Uh, really, I just, I don't think there's much of a contest when you compare it to The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, in my opinion. I'm just shocked. It's I, I can't get past you saying it's brutal. That's just that I just oh, I can't oh, get I right, can't get past right. it. I can't Maybe get past I over overstated, but I just yeah. I mean, I think that it's uh, it can be a little boring. I honestly, when I'm even today when I'm watching it, you know, I still marvel at uh, at some of those moments. But really, until they meet Luke, uh, I could fast forward. Quite honestly, I've never fast forwarded through a single frame of <laughs> of Star Wars a New Hope. And I am I am shocked and actually actually hurt. I'm I'm hurt by this. Oh. Oh. Yes, I can't believe I cannot believe what I'm hearing from you. This is a day this is a day that will live in infamy here on yeah. Rebel Force Radio. Going to need to get over it. Going to need to get over it. I no, no, just... no. You're going to need to rephrase that statement, that brutal statement. You, you have to, you have to reconsider that and come up with a better I way just, to I, phrase I remember that. as a kid um, when when I first got the films on uh, on video, or when I would rent the film on video. Uh, yeah, I would fast forward through that. I'd fast forward through the whole, you know, with the Jawa sand crawler and all of that. It. For me as a kid, it just it, it bored me. Are you telling me you fast-forwarded past Gonk? I fast-forwarded past Gonk. You don't really gain an appreciation for all of that that's going on until you get older. Wrong. I mean, now I, Wrong. I don't fast-forward through it. But you have. But I, 
But I have, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think your fandom is permanently tainted by that statement. Oh, it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> be the first time. Uh, but anyway, so Empire Strikes Back. Uh, the maker himself commented, said that it was a privilege to see the film top the poll. He said, uh, fans like The Empire Strikes Back the best, partly because it is so dark. It's an overall story, and as it happens in the second act, things get dark. I never really planned it to be three separate films, but when it became three separate films, it had an interesting effect of each film having its own personality caused by the plot. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a, so, that's a pretty solid statement there from George. Yep, um, you know, yep. No question about it. I like hearing statements from George now that he no longer owns and runs all aspects of the Star Wars I was Wars surprised, franchise. actually, to see a quote from George. Yeah. I'm pleasantly so. Yeah, yeah. A new quote from George. Yeah. Other than, I'm retired. It's never. whoop de doo um, but editor of the uh, of the magazine, Mark Dinning, said that uh, this is a movie that, when it was released, managed to make Star Wars both bigger, more intimate, and more exciting. No, I made that part up. Both bigger, and that was just for Jimmy's thing. Uh, both bigger and more intimate, all at the same time. Today, it remains, it retains all of its power, wit, heart, and spectacle. With Star Wars very much back in the current conversation and J.J. Abrams shooting Episode 7, this is a timely reminder of the power of Star Wars to capture the imagination of film fans the world over. It may be set in a galaxy far, far away, but this is a series of movies that will always be very close to our hearts. And for now, at least, The Empire Strikes Back is this indelible franchise at the very top of its game. It's really hard to argue with that, Jim, i got to say. It really is. So looking at this poll, Empire Strikes Back, Episode 5, the Star Wars Saga, number one. The Godfather, number two. The Dark Knight, number three. Shawshank Redemption at number four. And Pulp Fiction rounding out the top five. Yes, and then uh, you five, get to then right? you finally get to Star Wars Episode Four. <laughs> so, see, I, here's I, I have so many. You know, you, you can't release a list like this without promoting and provoking debate. And uh, here's the thing. I don't get the whole Shawshank Redemption thing. Now, listen, hear me out here. I know people who adore the film, and I saw it. I saw it once. I thought it was a great movie with great acting. But to rank it higher than Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or even Jaws, for that matter, or Raiders, is a shock to my system. Shawshank Redemption is is a film that has grown in stature and popularity in the last 15 years or whenever it was released. To me, it's all coming out of left field. I think it's a very good movie. It's a quality film. Don't get me wrong. But for it to rank so high on a list of the top 10 greatest movies of all time is shocking to me. It is. I've, I don't think I've ever seen Shawshank in one of these polls ranked this high. But you know what? There's been this growing sentiment about the film being something of a stupendous classic. And to me, that's coming. That, that's just been growing and growing over the years. So much so that you see classic films like Jaws, Star Wars, Raiders end up on polls underneath it. And... And to yeah, me, this is a new phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it's a new thing. It's it's this growing popularity with uh, the Shawshank Redemption. I'm I'm sure we'll hear from some Shawshank fans who will want to justify to us uh, some of the the main bullet points on why 
the film would rank so high in a in, in a poll like this. But uh, to me, that's that's really kind of coming um, from left field. I, I just would have never seen that coming. The first time I saw Shawshank Redemption, the only time I saw Shawshank Redemption was when it was released. I saw it in the theaters, and yeah, I thought, that's the thing yeah. too. You know about these greatest movies of all time. I, I, I always one of my my tests for something being you know for a movie being great and one of the greatest is that it has repeat watchability. Like exactly. I want to see it again and again and again. And uh, I've not seen Shawshank Redemption, but I I kind of liken it to some other movies that I see it. I see it one time and go, wow, that was impactful but i'll never see that again i don't have any desire to see it again um but you know you look at the godfather the dark knight uh lord of the rings of course star wars jaws raiders i never get tired of seeing those films never all of Uh, these films on the top 10 list are films that i have seen multiple times with the exception of two number one of course shawshank which i have seen and number two being inception which i saw and was exhausted when it was over. I don't know if I could put myself through Inception again, <laughs> even though you know the part of part of the film is is a mystery where you're trying to understand wh- where these characters are, what they're doing, what they're trying to do. And I think on a second viewing of it, and it's a brilliant film, of course, but on a second viewing of it, it might open up your mind to other possibilities about the film itself. But I can't. I just I can't muster up the energy. It takes me mentally to wrap my head around Inception, so I've only seen it once. But, of course, Raiders I've seen probably a 100 times. Same with Jaws. I've seen Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring so many times. And, and you know, I find that interesting, too, that Fellowship is the one that is being singled out as a top ten. Um, I don't know if I, I feel like that's the strongest film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but uh, those films all sort of flow together as one anyway. Then at number six, you have uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, which I, I, I think is, is, is misplaced on this list. I would put it in the top three with Godfather and Empire. That would be my personal top. Yeah, I don't uh, disagree with that. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I don't think, I don't know about Dark Knight. I, t- I don't top, either. I don't, time i yeah you know it's a it's a great film and 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 that's a film that you could watch over and over again but greatest greater than greater than something like jaws greater than something like raiders no my top five would be episode four godfather episode five uh jaws and raiders i love pulp fiction but i don't even know if that would make my top 10 list I can get behind you on that, on, the, on that list. I can get behind you on that. Um, I would keep episode five where it is. Um, I would probably put, for me, episode four as number two, followed by The Godfather, followed by Jaws, and then, uh, and then Raiders. In the, in the, in the, that, that's how I would do it. See, I, I always have this internal debate with myself over episode four and episode five. Um, of course, I revere episode four so much because to me, it, it's, it's a classic of the sort of status that you would apply to Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, Citizen Kane. I know that they're film files that would, are probably throwing up in their mouth right now hearing me talk, but that's how I feel because 
I think that it's that kind of classic. I think it's the Wizard of Oz. You know, I, I, that's the reverence I put on Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Because it always takes me back to being that eight-year-old kid, being originally introduced into this giant universe and trying to wrap my head around the whole thing and loving every moment of it. So I always rank episode four as my favorite of all time, but empire strikes back. My God, it's such a incredible movie. And it is, I think it is the series hitting it on all cylinders. I think the characters were fully fleshed out and realized by the, the time empire strikes back was created. I think the pacing of Empire is fantastic. The soundtrack is the greatest. Uh, we're currently going through the soundtrack right now with David Collins on Star Wars Oxygen. New release of that just came out this week as well. We've been busy here at Rebel Force Radio this week, so I hope you guys... As yeah, as always, but but more so this week than, than recently because of... Uh, because of the Disney trip and all that, but uh, we hope everyone's been enjoying all the releases we've been putting out this week. And if you, uh, you know, uh, you're rolling into the weekend and you didn't realize that we had been so busy this week, well, hey, use these next few days to get caught up. It's going to be beautiful outside. So, like Jason said, mowing the lawn, doing whatever you're doing outside, take us with you. But uh, back to this list, you know, I mean, we can debate the merits of this all day long, but. Uh, but uh, it, it is kind of an interesting one, and it just, no matter what, it's great to see a Star Wars film top a list like this. Yeah, Empire Magazine, uh, you know, this isn't some, you know, fly-by-night website that uh, you hear about just one time because it happens to do a poll like this. It's, uh, it's got a lot of miles on the tires, and it has some credibility. So this is, uh, this is quite a coup. And so uh, I'm glad to see it, as you say, Jim, get the recognition that it deserves. And I would have been happy with episode four or five, but uh, I kind of see why they, why they went with Empire. Uh, now, last week, we um, were talking a little bit about Carrie Fisher's uh, recent appearances since she appeared in that now very, very famous uh, shot of the cast of episode seven in their uh, midst of a, of a table read. There was a headline that just struck me last week that I just thought was was fantastic. So the best part of Star Wars Episode Seven will be Carrie Fisher's press tour. <laughs> That's uh, courtesy of thewire.com. dot com, and uh, so they went and they kind of sort of summed up some of uh, the best of Carrie of recent. So she was actually at the the Hay Festival in in Wales, and this is where she really kind of started commenting publicly about what it was like to get back with the original cast. And uh, Carrie does not disappoint. She said, we all look a little melted, melted. It's good to see other melted people. This is what she told the folks at the Hay Festival. So uh, Jim, admitting that uh, they're all a little older now. Hey, you know, gravity has effect on all of us at a certain point in our lives. And uh, if if Carrie, um, (laughs) if she feels better to think that she's melting, you know, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a world, what a world. Speaking of the Wizard of Oz. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but, but you know, like you say, uh, gravity does kind of start to pull us all down. And that is why Carrie Fisher is now three foot eight. <laughs> and she looks like uh, one of the final scenes of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe speculating on uh, what we might see of uh, Princess Leia in uh, episode seven. Uh, she was asked about what does she think Leia should be doing now? And uh, she says uh, she's in an intergalactic old folks home. I just think that she would be uh, just like she was before, only slower and less inclined to be up for the big battle. 
And uh, this was an interview with uh, Palm Beach Illustrated where she said, I've always said where I want Princess Leia to go just briefly, the shopping planet. We've done all these male things with guns and lightsabers. Now I think we should go and get our nails done. So uh, <laughs> hopefully it'll be a little bit more exciting than that, though it sounds like an episode of The Clone Wars, actually. Um, oh. Well, there was the, you know, there was the, the, the spy episode. Right, that was an inside joke for the, the spa <laughs> spy episode. Well, right. thanks for clarifying what what that well, reference. Yeah, that's, that's what I the, the droid spa episode. Yes, that's of when, course, one of one of one of our favorites. She does equate in a in an interview with uh, the London Telegraph the secrecy around Star Wars uh, being like D Day. Uh, she said, uh, it's, it's literally like D-Day if the Nazis find out we're coming. Uh, but I just, uh, there's this insane interest. People grew up with these characters. So it's their, their childhoods. So also while in the UK, she uh, stopped by the Paul O'Grady show. It's a British, they call them chat shows over there, it seems like. So that's the British chat show, the Paul O'Grady show. And uh, she, of course, uh, always an entertaining guest on any chat show. Here's uh, Carrie Fisher talking about that accent, the accent from uh, episode four and uh, what happened to it. So Leia's back. She is. She is. She's been sitting in my house <laughs> and watching me. <laughs> no, she's back. And uh, but I, I like to call her old Leia now. I'd like to, there to be like a cologne called old, old Leia. Leia. Probably so, you know. Mm. You never know. You just never know. smell of like mildew and out of space. <laughs> you, that was Star Wars was your very first job, and you hadn't even left drama school. I had not left no. drama school, and I think you can tell in you know, my, my glorious work. Well, I think you can also, you know, all the Shakespeare that I studied here, I think you can see that throughout all the scenes, in the trash compactor especially. <laughs> But uh, there is sort of, I, t- I talk with this terrible Governor Tarkin. I thought I recognized your foul stench when I arrived on board. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been embarrassing me ever since, see? So there you go. Uh, in, a, in, a, in another article, I, uh, there was uh, a quote. She said she wanted to get Princess Leia right this time. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I don't think there was anything wrong with Princess Leia before. But there is that... Uh, those few lines in episode four where she's she's doing the British accent and she does abandon it uh, fairly quickly, uh, but uh, they do pop up here and there. So it's funny to hear Carrie actually admit that. Um, so it's not your ears playing tricks on you. Well, really let me tell it. you. Let me tell you something. She was surrounded by these intergalactic British dudes on board the Death Star. So maybe she was just trying to fit in. And I've seen examples of this in my own life. When I was a younger child, uh, we used to take family road trips down to northern Mississippi, where my mom is from. My dad is from the western suburbs of Chicago. So when we would drive down south and finally start hitting states like Tennessee and Mississippi, we'd pull over to a gas station and my dad would go in there and he'd be, uh, you know, here he is, like I said, Western suburbs of Chicago, Irish guy, goes walking into a gas station in Tennessee and says, How y'all doing, boys? And he'd maintain the accent for the entire visit. (laughs) And we're like, who are you trying to kid? (laughs) 
this was about fitting in. This was, you know, maybe he, uh, this was his way into the family. Maybe this is just his way of fitting in. But you also have to understand is that sometimes when these regal types in the Star Wars universe are presenting themselves via debate or, you know, pleading for their lives in front of these evil imperial guys, uh, they, they kind of turn on an accent. You can never forget Natalie Portman. Once she put that white makeup on, she'd be saying things like, you know, before the makeup, she'd say, we got to get back to Naboo. She put the white makeup on, and she would say, "We have to get back to Naboo." So <laughs> it was. It was you're a, right. You're right. Maybe that is sort of a, an affectation that they have to put on uh, to survive and blend in in the the political world of of uh, of the galaxy far, far away. Now, you could argue too that in these moments when she's using that accent is when she's uh, being very controlled, and she's not admitting to being a part of the rebellion at this point. She is, uh, she is royalty from Alderaan. Yes. And so, you know, going to talk, and I recognize your foul centralized brought on board. But when she gets to the point where she's pleading for uh, the lives of every living creature on Alderaan, there's no accent. Yeah. I mean, she's just being herself. She's just being Leia. So that's interesting, Jim, that you say that. I, I, we need to let Carrie know that she needs to stop apologizing for that accent because she meant to do it all along. Yeah, it all makes sense. But there actually was a practical purpose as far as Carrie was thinking in her head on why she sounded British during those sequences. And she continued to talk about it just recently on the Paul O'Grady show. And she was quite British, Princess Leia, wasn't she? It was at the drama school. Well, no, it's not just the drama school. Try to say that. In an, I wanted to come in. I think I did the first bit. That was the first thing we shot. So I think I came in and said, oh, I thought I recognized your foul stench when I arrived on port. I said, that's got to be Tarkin. He just stinks to high heaven. <laughs> and George came and said, I mean, I didn't say that, but he said, you know, you're very upset. You're very serious. So when I, I guess I get British when I get upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? We'll have to see. That turns out to be true. So there you go. A very practical reason uh, why the British accent. Although, Jim, I like our retconning. I like that in order to blend in and be taken seriously in uh, politics, in the Star Wars universe, you, you got you to gotta have the, the accent. Well, my God, they put so much emphasis on etiquette and protocol in the Star Wars universe. They create artificial people whose sole purpose is to maintain etiquette and protocol. Hello, 3PO. So, so, you know, part of that etiquette and protocol might be turning that accent on and off. It's like like lawyers in London with the uh, powdered wig. You know, they go into that courtroom, they got to put that wig on. It's wig time. So when Carrie Fisher goes to address a Governor Tarkin, a fellow politico, she starts speaking in a very similar dialect and a very similar accent as he does. It's a method of relating. It's a diplomatic move in the Star Wars universe. Yes. Yes. So when he says, when, when Vader says... You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. And that accent is fake. Take her away. <laughs> you can't fool us. We yeah. know. We know you're from the west side of Alderaan. 
<laughs> You're not fooling anyone, girly. All right, uh, but what about the bun hairstyle? Will that be coming back in episode seven? Carrie Fisher would like to think so. Are you having the headphone hairdo? I hope so. I've been begging them to do sort of uh, the gray buns, you know, (laughs) Uh, sort of granny Leia, cleaning up around the house, baking cookies in the shape of robots, things like that. Cleaning the spaceship. Good old granny Leia. (laughs) Giving old CP3 a good old shine there. That's right. Mr. Sheen. I just thought even if they're just walking past a window or something, or just, you know, swinging past (laughs) as old Leia. Yeah, no, but you know, the gray, gray buns. (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? (laughs) I don't want it. I don't want the gray (laughs) buns. I don't, she's only 56 for crying out loud, Carrie Fisher. Wait, all this granny talk. She's only 56. Right, so consider, consider how old is the character of Leia. At the end of Return of the Jedi, I always put her around 24 years old. She'd be the same age as Luke, obviously. Right. right, right. So I always put him around 24 years old. So if we're looking at 30 years into the future, we're looking at a Luke and Leia who are 54 years old. Hardly, hardly ready for the senior citizen's home. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Carrie, but you're not that old. Stop right. acting and that old. Leia be. You know, Carrie sometimes acts older than her mom does with the comments she makes and everything. You know, Debbie Fisher always seems to be vibrant and or I'm sorry, Debbie Reynolds always seems to be vibrant and and outgoing and smiling and just having a wonderful time and living it forever young. She's one of those. Yeah, but but Carrie, Carrie's an old soul, you know, as they would say, she's uh, she's someone who considers herself to be much older than she is probably. Because of all the experiences she's been through. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. She's lived several lifetimes. And, yeah, that certainly will age a person, uh, the kind of life that she has had, uh, the good and the bad. But uh, So she, she carries on. She's uh, appeared on um, the Saturday Night Show. This is uh, over in Ireland. And uh, answering a question about, well, you guessed it, if it's not the buns, it's the gold bikini. People are always asking about the metal bikini. Now I wear that only when I uh, go on trips so I can go through security in the metal, you know, and Uh then they uh make me strip and they bring in Jabba the Hutt. And it's just great. (laughs) I don't have the metal bikini and you don't want to see your arms anymore after 40. So... But, but I believe George Lucas did kind of insist rather ungallantly that you needed to lose a bit of weight for they're, Star Wars this yeah, time. <laughs> this time, too, they hire part of me. They hire, like, 80% of me, and they say, get rid of that extra 20. Okay. <laughs> and, and you did it for them? I did it just for them, but just this twice. No, I, I have to do it anyway. I'm, I'm so short that three pounds on me would be, you know, 20 on... I don't know. Anyway, it makes sense somewhere. But it's, uh, it's all this stuff with weight is just the preoccupation with it. And I have it, too. I look in the mirror, and I see this giant, weird-headed-looking person. Not at all. You look fantastic. You really but do. But I, in the abstract, think, okay, I look better now. But this is like when you say to my mother, you look great. And she has an argument with you every time. Okay, 
you look great for your age. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, let's get it really what you wanted. And uh, so now I just tell her she looks like sh- yeah. <laughs> she, she really she obviously doesn't have a good mirror she looks awful and she misses the days when i told her she looked great mm-hmm. <laughs> debbie reynolds you know one of the things you pick up in some of these interviews is that uh she and her daughter carrie fisher live next door to one another yeah so yes, they they're do. they're they're very close and <laughs> literally and figuratively uh, but, uh, so there you go. The, the, the gold bikini and, uh, you know, it's interesting because, uh, yes, famously she was asked at, uh, gosh, how old was she? Uh, 19, I believe when she was uh, hired for episode four, a new hope, uh, to lose some weight. Uh, George wanted her to lose weight. And then apparently, uh, for this film, episode seven, she was asked to do the same about the same amount of weight, I believe. So, um, you know, when you're, I'll tell you, I'm five foot three and a half and I'm claiming that half. And, uh, <laughs> I, I fluctuate, there's about 10, 12 pounds back and forth all the time. I kind of gain like a, I'm like a, uh, like a, a, a chipmunk. I gain winter weight and then I lose it in the summertime. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Jim, when you're, when you're five, three, 10 pounds makes an enormous difference. And so I can just imagine, I know exactly what she's, what she's saying. You know, she's, you know, three or four pounds uh, when you're that short is not like, you know, you or an average heighted uh, person uh, putting on just a couple of pounds. So it's, uh, it's difficult, but kudos to her. Cause as we've seen from some of these photos, she, she looks great. I, I just, you know, a thought occurred to me. As uh, we were looking at the photos and, and, and hearing the, the comments, uh, you know, that some of the actors are making, is it possible that the original cast might just be cameo status in this film? No, I given don't that, so. Have you given that some thought? Yeah, well, of course I have. And uh, I, I think uh, a primary reason for much of the rewrite for Star Wars Episode Seven, once Michael Arndt stepped aside and was replaced by Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. to rewrite the film was because the spotlight wasn't on the original three enough. And another thing we've been hearing is that Harrison Ford is definitely going to be amongst the principals in this new film. So Harrison will probably be spotlighted a lot more in Star Wars Episode Seven, along with his supporting cast of younger actors, guys like uh, Oscar Isaac or, uh, you know, uh, Daisy Ridley. We don't know how they all, how these puzzle pieces fit together right now, but... That could be the case that Harrison might see a lot of the action in this film and the characters of Luke and Leia might not really come into play as much until episodes eight and nine. And the reason for that being would be because, of course, Han Solo dies in Star Wars episode seven. But we don't know that. We don't. We don't, we don't know. Although there could be a musical track in the uh, soundtrack. If you're, you know, standing at the at Target and you flip over the back, you might see, you know, uh, Han Solo's noble yeah, end. There's a, like solo, track team. S- solo six feet under. No. Yeah. So you know, we might be experiencing things like that. So yeah, be careful for but those. You're right. Kind of I mean, and, and Carrie Fisher herself said, Jim, you may remember this quote. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, she was asked, "How did she feel when she first read?" 
the script for episode seven, and she said, I felt like I'd really like to be Han Solo. Aha. So Harrison probably does see the lion's share of the action for the three main characters from the original trilogy. And that would probably be because Harrison might be episode seven and out. And that would be because he dies at the end of the film. Pure speculation at this point. Of course, there have been no plot rumors really released, at least publicly, um, that would take any, anything to that sort of extreme. But that's just speculation on my part. Why is Harrison Ford going to be a featured player in this particular film? Why is Han Solo going to see the bulk of the action? It's because it's curtains for Han. Again, speculation. And, you know, people will get all over me. You want that to happen. No, I don't want that to happen. I never want to see Han Solo die. But if it makes no, the you, story You're a bit stronger, of a Han hater. I mean, you know, you weren't oh, giving his credit. Stop that. You giving him his due. You, you know, you, you questioned his popularity. You were putting every other Star Wars character as more popular than, than Han Solo. So I, I, it's natural, I, for Jim, for you to want him to die. No, you stop So that, that he can stop appearing on top of all these popularity polls. No, now stop. Because I was just saying that for the sake of debate and not bringing my personal bias or, or feelings into it. That was strictly just a, a debate. Oh, okay. Hey, speaking of debates. I love Han Solo. Little debate. Love little debate. We love little debate, and we love little Debbie snack cakes. Little debate. Come on. I'm not falling for that. I'm not falling for that. (laughs) So little Debbie are such good friends of ours here at Rebel Force Radio, and Star Wars fans everywhere are clamoring for more Little Debbie snacks. So we here on Rebel Force Radio aim to please. We want to deliver to your doorstep a Little Debbie Galactic snack pack. What's a Little Debbie Galactic snack pack, you ask? Well, it's this big old box filled with all kind of Little Debbie treats, and it's just great. And we're hooked on them here, and we want you to get the opportunity to have your very own Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack delivered to your house. So what we're asking you to do is to post something mentioning Cosmic Cupcakes, which is the great new treat from Little Debbie's that we're all behind. We love Cosmic Cupcakes here at Rebel Force Radio. So you want to mention Cosmic Cupcakes, Little Debbie, and Rebel Force Radio. Put it out there on the Twitter. Put it out there on the Facebook. Put it on our official Facebook page. Put it on Little Debbie's official Facebook page. Or tweet. Hit the Twitter and tweet at Little Debbie and include Rebel Force Radio to be eligible to win a Little Debbie snack pack, including those awesome Cosmic Cupcakes. And uh, so every week we scour the internet, we scour the Twitter, we scour the Facebook, and we look at what Rebel Force Radio listeners have to say about Little Debbie. And then if you're lucky enough, we are going to pick you to win a Galactic Snack Pack. And this week we have a new winner, and he's from Twitter. His name is Ken Benobi. Ken Benobi. Obi-Wan hmm. Ken Benobi, who says, Rebel Force Radio, celebrating my birthday with some cosmic cupcakes for breakfast while re-listening to RFR. Now, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's eating Little Debbie for breakfast. He's re-listening 
to Rebel Force Radio, and it's his birthday. Well, guess what, Ken Benobi? We want you to celebrate with even more Little Debbie awesomeness. You're getting a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack delivered to your house as soon as you deliver your address to us. We'll reach out to you, and uh, we'll connect, and we'll make sure you get a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. We're so excited to give these away each and every week, and of course, Little Debbie is the official snack cake of us here at Rebel Force Radio. You know what I'd like to see? What? I'd like to see. I'd like to open up my box of cosmic cupcakes and find an episode seven trading card inside. Mm. Wouldn't they make a great sponsor for uh, episode seven? That would be fantastic. Trading cards in the Little Debbie boxes would be amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it'll just take me back because my first real exposure to Star Wars was when a Tusken Raider trading card fell out of this uh, bag of Wonder Bread. And I stared at the thing, and that's when I said, I have to go see Star Wars, was looking at that Tuscan. I still have the trading card. I still have the actual trading card. My first ever Star Wars collectible was a Wonder Bread trading card, and that's what really introduced me to Star Wars. That's what made me want to go see the film. That I, I took the card, and I walked in to see my dad, and I said, Dad, I held it in front of his face. I said, we got to go. And uh, he's like, whatever, you know, he even put his newspaper down, but he did take us. <laughs> he did take us. And uh, yeah, that was my, my, my first, I mean, my friends had seen Star Wars at that point in time. I sh- I'm sure I saw some commercials on TV, but I just, I really don't remember seeing commercials on TV for Star Wars for some weird Weird reason, you know, everyone, the famous story about how my favorite movie of the summer of 1977, up until the time I saw Star Wars, was Peter Benchley's The Deep with uh, gruff yet lovable Nick Nolte in the lead role. And let me tell you, Nick Nolte is no Harrison Ford. Although, is there, isn't there, um, a, did Nick Nolte actually audition for the role? Of I think everybody auditioned for those roles. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But, he but I think Nolte might have been in there. Maybe he did. Let's just say he was. She's fast enough for you, old man. <laughs> Remember 48 Hours? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great flick. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, you just can't beat a good food premium tie-in uh, to a big film. And uh, I, I especially want um, Episode 7 uh, Burger King glasses. Yes. Got to have those. Bring those back. And I don't mean... The, the the plastic ones that Target had for a while, which looked cool, but once you come out of the package, you're like, these aren't glasses. I mean the I mean the real ones, the real glasses. No no Taco Bell crazy topper. I want the actual glasses um, from uh, you know from the vintage days. That would mm-hmm. be great. What other what, what else would be great as a throwback for a uh, 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 well you got to have a, a cereal. Got to have a C-3PO's uh, for episode seven. And you want the mask of some of these new characters that you you cut it out on the back of the box. Hog Squaddle. That that could be the name of the cereal. Hog (laughs) Squaddle. Hog Squaddle. Part of a nutritious breakfast. Mom, can you get us a new box of Hog Squaddle? (laughs) I'm afraid to see what that cereal looks like. Oh, boy. Uh, You know, there were there were I remember I think Pepperidge Farm had them. Cookies for Return of the Jedi. Do you remember those? They're you could a, get vanilla and yeah, chocolate. Yeah, well, it was like light side and dark side, I think. They do some Ewok cookies too, or something along those lines. Ewok I think you 
cookies? They, they turned Ewoks into cookies. Yeah. Um, no, I don't remember Ewok cookies. No, no. But, uh, yeah, the Pepperidge Farm, I certainly remember. Uh, you got to have some early bird action figures that you mail away for. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's definitely going to happen. And, and, you know, um, Kyle, of course, famously um, is a big, big fan of the vintage packaging. And we know that Hasbro, uh, I would say somewhat uh, quickly dropped the vintage packaging for the for the action figures. And I'm starting to think, Jim, with, you know, as, as we start to see more and more of what this film may actually look like. And the adherence to the look and feel and overall vibe of the original trilogy, I would be very surprised if for this merchandise they didn't roll out that vintage look again. I certainly hope they do. Because that says Star Wars on the toy shelves. That's the look that we had for the entire eight-year run of the original trilogy, if you want to include, you know... The, the fact that Hasbro was still releasing toys under the Star Wars banner going all the way up till 1985. So that's, you know, 77 to 85, 78 to 85. So uh, I guess that's more like seven years, but who's counting? Um, right. You know, well, that's how some Ewoks, throwing some droids in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so I, I, I think it would be, uh, well, certainly a mistake if they didn't, but I would not be a bit surprised if we see that look. I think just the... the you just can't convince me. You can't convince me that that Black Series packaging was the result of any kind of significant R&D research or anything. It seemed very, very quick. And if you kind of look at the time frame, it matches up to about the time when they probably would have been alerted of what uh, was coming down the pike. From Star Wars. And so also, it, also, it's something cheap and fast and easy to produce. You're not dealing with four-color photography with, uh, you know, long bios on the back and, like, other photos of action figures on the backs of the cards. It's all pretty much just black with a few sentences about the character on one side. And on the other side, just you know, black with one orange color. Quick, easy to produce, cheaper. It's got to be cheaper to produce just those. Oh, oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Uh, but at, at any rate, there's just so much to look forward to, and of course, speculate. Uh, but now I'm thinking about now I'm thinking about C3PO cereal. <laughs> I really like to see that. So, hey, listen. I know little Debbie is listening because they love Star Wars, and so hey, you guys, there's uh, we're throwing it out there. You know, trading cards in the boxes of Cosmic Cupcakes and all the. Crazy, incredible Little Debbie snacks. So that's a great idea, and that would definitely give the whole release of Star Wars Episode Seven a very vintage-feeling vibe, which I know that the, the filmmakers are trying to achieve, the marketing will be trying to achieve, and us as fans will be trying to achieve that too. So give us those trading cards. Rebel Force Radio. You've already made that Star Wars reference. Your source for the Force. Star Wars parody! <laughs> All right, we have a Star Wars in pop culture moment that comes from who, Jim? Who? Who sent this one? Young Jason Swank from Ohio. <laughs> we got an email at show at rebelforceradio.com that says, Great Phil Dumphy Star Wars reference. 
in Modern Family. Episode was The Wedding Part 1, about one-third of the way into the episode. Phil is walking into a store with his daughter after having his eyes dilated. So he's wearing these really thick shades, and he can't see too well. So she's sort of guiding the blind. And leave it to Phil Dunphy to throw down with the pop culture reference definitely steeped in the galaxy far, far away. Can you see better in here? A little, but those drops are really hanging on. I'm like Han Solo right when he came out of the carbonite. Really nothing? I get it, Star Trek. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I saw this and I wasn't sure if it was, um, if you'd already seen it, because we, um, we cut the cable. We cut the cord, Jim. Here in the yeah. in the Swank House, and uh-huh. so I uh, I'm a couple of weeks behind on the TV watching. Uh, was at this point and definitely uh, spinning the episodes on Hulu and Netflix and anywhere else I can get them. And so I we, we were catching up on Modern Family, and that reference happened, and I grabbed my phone right away and uh, and typed off the dashed off the message. So I'm glad to have been able to share that with you. Because uh, that's one of my all-time favorite pop culture references. Not only does it feature a, a reference from Return of the Jedi, but Han and Carbonite, it's a little obscure. So hats off to the writers there at Modern Family for throwing that bone. That's pretty cool. And of course, we're simpatico with Phil Dunphy, because as a hardcore Star Wars fan, like everyone listening to this show and Phil Dunphy himself, we've all been caught in that awkward situation when you make a killer Star Wars reference and someone thinks you're talking about the Trek. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. So it's funny to see that Phil Dunphy is not immune to that sort of reaction. <laughs> right, and of course his, his uh, response is priceless. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> So if you've got a Star Wars in pop culture reference, uh, please send it to show at rebelforceradio.com. Subject line, pop culture. Your source for the force. Star Wars parody. (laughs) All right. Another one of our sponsors this week. We love them so much. Dorksidetoys.com. Speaking of toys, I'm telling you. You got to have a source lined up for when we get hit with the onslaught of everything that is episode seven. And Dorkside is going to be your source. I just know it. But for now, check them out. They've got the six inch Anakin Skywalker Black Series figure. This is not even out. Not even out on store shelves. And yet they've got them for only $14.99. That's incredible. Also, get ready. Job of the Hut. In a uh, six-inch uh, scale format, along with the uh, incredible Biker Scout and uh, uh, Speeder Bike, that's available for pre-order right now. Also, uh, they've got the, the, all those great retro reaction figures, including Pulp Fiction figures. And, of course, all kinds of different uh, modern and uh, vintage figures that could have been, should have been, and uh, would have been. Uh, also, the Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel Legends, those are out there uh, for $12.99. Walking Dead figures from $6.99, plus tons more Star Wars stuff and other great things at Dorkside Toys. And here's what you got to do you got to go to Shot Glass Digital, that's our website. Click on the Dorkside banner, and like hyperspace, you'll be shopping for the latest and greatest Star Wars toys from our friends and your friends at Dorkside Toys. This is Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. It's time for the quote of the week. Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy D. 
And don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Indeed. Sorry, baby. It's just business. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. Works every time. And Lando Calrissian is forever. (laughs) (laughs) What's up with TMZ these days in Star Wars? TMZ breaking all (laughs) kinds of Star Wars news. It is TMZ Day here at Rebel Force Radio. First, we're looking at the uh, leaked set photos, and now we're following the TMZ cameras as they tail Billy D. Williams as he drives through Hollywood. You know, you can't shake them. They stay on you like flies on you-know-what, but it's the TMZ camera guys, and they uh, caught up with Billy D. Williams as he was in the parking lot of Greenblatt's Deli, the legendary Greenblatt's Deli on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And Billy had just been involved in a fender bender with a young driver. And, uh, or as TMZ puts it, quote, listen to Grandpa Lando, kids. Stop driving so darn fast. So let's take you there to the parking lot of Greenblatt's Deli and check in with Billy D. Make sure that uh, he's safe and sound after being involved in a minor auto accident with a, a young driver who might have been a little reckless as far as the Baron administrator of Cloud City is concerned. You got in a car accident? Oh, she was passing through. And, All right. And I, uh, kids, the young people today, they, it's like know, the, they're it's just like moving the too fast. I know. You're going to be okay? You're going to be okay, yeah? Yeah, it's fine. There's no damage on your car. Your car looks good. There's no damage. Okay. What are you shooting for? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that, but you have no damage actually, yeah. No, 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 she had very slight. She was slightly damaged. Yeah. There she is right there. Okay. Thanks, Billy D. Bye bye. Okay. How do you guys, where do you guys come from? <laughs> <laughs> where do you guys come from? <laughs> that almost sounded a little Lando like, didn't it? He's talking about some Minox or some Ugnots or something. I don't know what. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's been in that situation, right? Especially, like, in a parking lot, getting with those little fender benders. But when you're Billy D, you look up, and there's a damn camera in your face from TMZ. Billy D does play pretty cool, though. You know, he talks to the guy, and then all of a sudden it occurs to Billy that he's not on a stage, he's not on a set, he's standing out in the parking lot, and... He's talking into the camera. He's, all of a sudden, reality slaps him upside the head, and he just, where do you guys come from? Just <laughs> now, what, well, Jim, you saw the video. What, what's, what's Billy D driving these days? Billy D, of course, styling in a Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no word yet if Billy D is going to be in, uh, in Episode 7. Joe, I think you actually speculated that you don't actually look for him in Episode 7. You think he's going to show up. You think it's going to mirror how he appeared in the second of the three original films, and he'll be in episode eight. You still stand by that? Yeah, I do. I do. I think they'll bring him midway in through episode eight, and uh, that'll just be uh, one of those examples of the uh, Star Wars echo chamber in full effect. That's how it has Now, we know that uh, Billy D, once uh, Han's out of the picture, uh, goes for uh, Han's clothes. Yeah. Obviously in the Falcon. Do you think if, if... if your theory plays out, and if if Han bites it, Episode Seven, you think he's going to go after his woman? Then you think we could see Billy D finally 
get the princess? No, I don't think so. But I do think he'll show up wearing Indiana Jones's clothes. <laughs> and we'll say, where do you guys come from? That's the same reaction we get when we pop up at a convention to interview a Star Wars celebrity. Where do you guys come from? (laughs) And why? And why? Well, why? Because we love Star Wars, and we hope that it showed over the last couple of hours, and as it shows each and every week here at Rebel Force Radio. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining us. What a fun show. It's just going to get, I'm telling you, you can't miss a single episode of Rebel Force Radio because it's just going to get more exciting and more fun as each week passes and we count down the weeks, the months, until we are back in the theaters seeing a new Star Wars movie. Incredible. Incredible times we live in. And we're so glad to share it with you and our wonderful sponsors. Uh, Don't forget about Dorkside Toys, Little Debbie Snack Cakes, and Audible.com. If you'd like to play with us in between shows, you can do so. You can email us, show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. We are on the Twitter, at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swankin, at Steve Glosson. And that is Glosson with an O-N. For years, I thought it was E-N. No, O-N. Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. That's the place... For breaking news, and by breaking news, I mean Jimmy Mac is a posting machine over there. A posting machine at, Rebe- at the Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. And honestly, guys, uh, I'm not just saying it because he's listening to me, but there ain't nobody breaking news quite like Jimmy Mac over there at the, uh, <laughs> at the Facebook page. So if it's happening, or if it's just happened... Check it out. It's gone over there. Plus, a uh, great conversation. We have such a wonderful community. Uh, over 8,000, 8,000 now uh, on our Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. So uh, thank you all so much for making that a popular place to be. Uh, all, iTunes, if you are a podcast aficionado, you probably already know about iTunes, what a great repository it is for podcasts. But uh, if not, it is... One great way you can subscribe and review all your favorite podcasts, including Rebel Force Radio. And uh, so check them out. We just have one rule on those reviews. Make them good. And our official website for all things and everything, Rebel Force Radio, rebelforceradio.com. And there you'll find our Shot Glass Digital website and a whole family of various audio programming for your ears to enjoy Star Wars, Bondcast, got some hockey talk. We got all kinds of stuff, so check it out at Shot Glass Digital Radio. Rebel Force Radio can be heard just about each and every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the internet radio station SR Sounds, Sorcerer's Radio. You can find them at srsounds.com. We got t-shirts T-shirts still available, Rebel Force Radio T-shirts at shotglassdigital.com. Check them out. Get one now. 
Next time you're in a fender bender in a parking lot and TMZ comes up to your window, best be wearing a Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. Yeah. Where do you guys come from? <laughs> I love it. All right. We'll see you next time, y'all. Thanks so much for being here. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. <laughs>